Poetry Collective. I'm your host, Julie Murphy, and today we have the great pleasure of welcoming Ellen Bass to our show. Hi, Ellen. Hi, Julie. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure to have you, and listeners, I want to welcome you as well. Um, Ellen is one of our local poetry treasures and wonderful human being, and I'm just delighted to have you here. Alan Bass's most recent book, Indigo, was published by Copper Canyon Press in 2020. Among her previous books are Like a Beggar, The Human Line, and Mules of Love. With Florence Howe, she co-edited the first major anthology of women's poetry, No More Masks. Among her honors are three Pushcart Prizes, the Lambda Literary Award, the Pablo Neruda Prize, Larry Levis Prize, New Letters Prize, and fellowships from the NEA and the California Arts Council. Her poetry appears frequently in The New Yorker, The American Poetry Review, and many other journals. Bass is also co-author of, of the groundbreaking The Courage to Heal, A Guide for Women Survivors of Child Sexual Abuse, and Free Your Mind, the book for gay, lesbian, and bisexual youth and their allies. Bass founded poetry workshops at Salinas Valley State Prison and at the Santa Cruz County Jails, and she teaches in the Low Residency MFA program in writing at Pacific University. She is currently serving as a Chancellor of the Academy of American Poets. Welcome, Ellen. I'm happy to be here. I asked Ellen to bring a favorite poem of hers which she did, and I think we'll start the show with that. I think it's a Marvin Bell poem. Yes, uh, Marvin Bell is a great poet who died very recently. I taught with him for about a dozen years at uh, the MFA program at Pacific, uh, and he is he was a great poet, a great teacher, a very generous teacher, and a very loving and funny and sweet human being. And his death is a very big loss to the world of poetry and to uh, our community at Pacific. And um, Marvin goes way back. He uh, was there at the beginning of the Iowa writers and mm-hmm. um, worked with everybody, knew everybody. I won't go into, you know, all, all of that, but he's, he uh, is a, a great inspiration because he was writing vigorously all his life uh-huh. and continually uh, reinventing um, his work. And for the last many years, he wrote a series of poems called the Dead Man Poems, I don't know how many there are. I should have found that out, but I'm going to be giving 
a series of craft talks in the spring and one of the weeks is gonna focus on obsessions and I'm gonna include some of his dead man poems. And the epigraph to them is the Zen admonition to live as though you were already dead. Mm. And the poems are so imaginative. They combine the personal with the political, um, the, the, the uh, range of diction and ideas and tone in all of them mm. is so rich and complex. I tried to, I, I tried to write an homage to Marvin uh, in his last weeks um, doing a, an imitation of his dead man poems. And it was really, fun to try it. <laughs> Mine were not, was not nearly as, as good as his. And you, you know, I really saw what it took to, to do what he does. But uh -huh. I, I felt like I was carried on his energy, you know, that he kind of provided some wind under my wings or sail, however that cliche goes. <laughs> and and, and I, I was able to write it. I don't, I don't think it's all that good, but it was, it was wonderful to read just lots and lots and lots of his poems, as many of us, I think, did, um, knowing that he was dying. Yeah. Uh, it, there's this strong desire to just connect, connect. And, um, and so I, I kind of sucked some DNA out of out of his <laughs> and wrote this homage and uh although it wasn't very good i sent it to him just to to share and that was that was a sweet thing to be able to do but um there's this what uh, there's so many of his poems i admire but this poem that i'm going to read really really speaks to me uh and i'll read it to you and then we could talk about right. it yeah uh, it's it's um it's and 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 this is an after poem as well that he was writing this influenced by another poem. So it's called Poem After Carlos Drummond de Andrade. And the epigraph is It's Life, Carlos. It's life that is hard. Walking, sleeping, eating, loving, working, and dying are easy. It's life that suddenly fills both ears with the sound of that symphony that forces your pulse to race and swells your heart near to bursting. It's life, not listening, that stretches your neck and opens your eyes and brings you into the worst weather of the winter to arrive once more at the house where love seemed to be in the air. And it's life, just life, that makes you breathe deeply in the air that is filled with wood smoke and the dust of the factory because you hurried and now your lungs heave and fall with the nervous excitement of a leaf in spring breezes, though it is winter and you are swallowing the dirt of the town. It isn't death when you suffer. It isn't death when you miss each other and hurt for it. When you complain, that isn't death. When you fight with those you love, when you misunderstand, when one line in a letter or one remark in person ties one of you in knots, when the end seems near, when you think you will die, when you wish you were already dead, none of that is death. It's life after all that brings you a pain in the foot and a pain in the hand, a sore throat, a broken heart, a cracked back, a torn gut, a hole in your abdomen, 
an irritated stomach, a swollen gland, a growth, a fever, a cough, a hiccup, a sneeze, a bursting blood vessel in the temple. It's life, not nerve ends, that puts the heartache on a pedestal and worships it. It's life and you can't escape it. It's life and you ask for it. It's life and you won't be consumed by passion. You won't be destroyed by self-destruction. You won't avoid it by abstinence. You won't manage it by moderation because it's life, life everywhere, life at all times. And so you won't be consumed by passion. You will be consumed by life. It's life that will consume you in the end. But in the meantime, it's life that will eat you alive. But for now, it's life that calls you to the street where the wood smoke hangs and the bare hint of a whisper of your name. But before you go, too late. Life got its tentacles around you, its hooks into your heart, and suddenly you come awake as if for the first time, and you are standing in a part of the town where the air is sweet, your face flushed, your chest thumping, your stomach a planet, your heart a planet, your every organ a separate planet, all of it a piece, though the pieces turn separately. Oh, silent indications of the inevitable. As among the natural restraints of winter and good sense, life blows you apart in her arms. Beautiful, thank you. That was Ellen Bass reading Marvin Bell's poem after Carlos Drummond de Andrade. On the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD, Santa Cruz, 90.7 FM. Wow. I know. That's an amazing poem. I know. You have to like really take a, a deep breath and dive into that poem. Yeah. The repetition, the, the anaphora, it's life. It's life. It just keeps pushing that poem forward. It, you know, it's, it's um, and, and Marvin has a way of doing this in many poems. It's affirming, obviously, life so persistently and passionately but there's no sentimentality in this poem and there's no glossing over the toughness of being alive. I just love this anthem to life. Yeah. Yeah. It's really what it is, an anthem. Yeah. It's like Lachayim, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it is, you know? And I, I love that turn, like maybe a third of the way into the poem. It isn't death when you suffer. Yes. It isn't death when you miss each other and hurt for it. When you complain, that isn't death. When you fight with those you love, when you misunderstand, when one line in a letter or one remark in person ties one of you in knots, when the end seems near, when you think you will die, when you wish you were already dead, none of that is death. Yes, yes. You know, it's like, you know, it can only happen to the living. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then it kind of goes on and not the next stanza, but the next one, it's life, not nerve ends, that puts the heartache on a pedestal and worships it. Oh, God, isn't that a line? Oh, my God. That, that's a poem in itself. You know, you could like write that on your wall. Oh, a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you really want to be doing this? <laughs> Yeah, and then he goes on to say it's life and you can't escape it. Yes, yes. There's so much tension in that. The embracing and the inclusion uh, makes me think of Pema Chodron's book, The Wisdom of No Escape. Yes, yes. Like here here we are, this is it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
It all builds up in that in that same stanza, and so, and that, and so. Isn't that great? Yeah. Yes. yes. You won't be consumed by passion. You will be consumed by life. Yeah. And then it, it, you you can't see this, um, but these pauses have ellipsis after them. The three dots. Yeah. Life that will consume you in the end, but in the meantime. And then there's the ellipse, you know, then it, it isn't finished. Right. It's life that will eat you alive. But for now, <laughs> you know, it's life that calls you to the street where the wood smoke hangs and the bare hint of a whisper of your name. But before you go, too late. Yeah. <laughs> too and, late. And, and you know, that too late is both, I mean, you can read it with any tone of voice. You, you know, I mean, it can be dire, too late, you know, this is like it, too late. But there's also this kind of, uh, I mean, Marvin was very impish as well. He was very, very playful man, you know, too late, <laughs> you know, <and> <laughs> you know, everything he read, he read with a kind of, um, you know, adorable little smile um you, you know would would kind of come through it and he'd had this uh, little sweet giggle and i get I, I, you know i can imagine him um with just a, a little impishness of too late you know it's just yeah. too late yeah that's great you, you can tell this poem was um written by someone who's lived a lot of life yeah it's yeah. got the, it's got the wisdom and the authority and um the inclusion of all the different nuances in it. And and that ending. Oh silent yes. indications of the inevitable. Don't you love how you know I mean this poem is so conversational all the way through. Super, super. But when he gets to that very last sentence, he has that, oh, you know, and, and the diction picks up into yeah. the lofty diction. Um, yeah. And the, the language, you know, we've got these four, two, two words of four syllables each. Oh, silent indications of the inevitable as among the natural restraints of winter and good sense, life blows you apart in her arms. You know, so that the syntax and the diction and uh, just, uh, you know, move into a, an elevated state yes. because... Yeah. All of this is true on the um, the kind of uh, you know ordinary everyday level, but it's also you know something very grand, right? Yeah, and he really carries us, and it, it's so believable for all the grit in the poem that comes before yeah. all the truth telling. Yes, he earns it. I mean, you, you some of you listening, I'm sure, are poets, and um, you know you realize that you couldn't very easily start a poem that way you know what if this poem began oh silent <laughs> indications of the inevitable as among the natural restraints of winter and good sense i mean that would really set us up for a very different different kind of poem very but nice. you know it's so magnificent at the end yeah well thank you so much for bringing this poem oh out. it's, it's, it's really i'm so glad to have a chance to read it out loud um Two people. I do read it out loud to myself sometimes. Yeah. Well, you're listening to the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD 90.7 FM Santa Cruz. And we are here with Ellen Bass today. And it's such a pleasure to have you, Ellen. And let's turn to your poems now.
I thought we might start with your poem, Enough, because I feel like it's in conversation with Marvin Bell's poem. And poems do that. We can talk about that a little bit, but. Yes, I'm so glad you suggested that we talk about that. And I, I don't think I'd consciously thought about it being in conversation with Marvin's poem, but the minute you said it, it seemed obvious. And also, why do we love certain poems? Because they resonate with us in a certain yeah. kind of way. So it's not um, surprising that this poem that is one of my favorite Marvin Bell poems and a poem that I love so much, of, of course I would have some similar sensibility in some way. And yes. uh, so I'm glad to read this. Uh, it's called Enough. And it also starts with an epigraph from Rambo. And the epigraph is enough seen, enough had, enough. No, it will never be enough. Never enough wind clamoring in the trees, sun and shadow handling each leaf. Never enough clang of my neighbor hammering, the iron nails, relenting wood, sound waves lapping over roofs. Never enough bees purposeful at the throats of lilies. How could we be replete with the flesh of ripe tomatoes, the crushed scent of their leaves? It would take many births to be done with the thatness of that. Oh, blame life that we just want more. Summer rain, mud, a cup of tea, our teeth, our eyes, a baby in a stroller, another spoonful of creme brulee, sweet burnt crust crackling, and hot showers. Oh, lovely, lovely hot showers. Today was a good day. My mother-in-law sat on the porch eating crackers and cheese with a watered down margarita. And though her nails are no longer stoplight red, and she can't remember who's alive or dead. Still, this was a day with no unstoppable weeping. Last night, through the small window of my laptop, I watched a dying man kill himself in Switzerland. He wore a blue shirt and snow was falling onto a small blue house, onto dark needles of pine and fir. He didn't step outside to feel the snow on his face. He sat at a table with his wife, and drank poison. Online, I found a plastic bag complete with Velcro and a hole for a tube to a propane tank. I wouldn't have to move our Weber. I could just slide down the stucco to the flagstones where healthy weeds are sprouting through the cracks. Maybe it wouldn't be half bad to go out looking at the yellowing leaves of the old camellia. And from there, I could see the chickens scratching, if we still have chickens then, and yet. This little hat of life, how will I bear to take it off while I can still reach up? Snug woolen watch cap, lacy bonnet, yellow cloche with a yellow veil. I wore the Easter I turned 13 when my mother let me promenade with Tommy Spagnola on the boardwalk in Atlantic City. Oxygen, oxygen, the cry of the body. But there may come a day when I must say no, enough, enough with more tenderness than I have ever given to a lover, the gift of the nipple hardening under my fingertip, more tenderness than to my newborn when I held her still streaked with my blood. I'll say the most gentle refusal to this dear animal 
and tighten the clasp around my throat that once was kissed and kissed until the blood could no longer rest in its channel, but rose to the surface like a fish that couldn't wait to be caught. Thank you. That was Ellen Bass reading her poem, Enough, here on the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD Santa Cruz, 90.7 FM. I'm your host, Julie Murphy. I love how this poem just starts out in an argument. The epigraph, enough seen, enough had, enough. And then the first sentence of the poem is, no. <laughs> <laughs> like a two-year-old. <laughs> no, no, never enough. <laughs> and the poem does this amazing exploration of what we can't get enough of in incredible particulars. But then also this turn into death and grief and what would bring us to say no to that. It's just really quite amazing. Poem really takes these turns with today. Today was a good day. And then we get a portrait of a person, a very intimate portrait, portrait of a mother-in-law eating crackers and cheese with a watered-down margarita. And though her nails are no longer stoplight red, and she can't remember who's alive or dead, still this was a day with no unstoppable weeping. And so death and grief come into the poem. And again, another no, because the negation comes through this poem all the way through the no and didn't and won't. And uh, it really pushes us up against yeah. um, that tension of yes and no, of wanting and not wanting uh, in such an incredible way. Yes. Um, you, you know, of course it, arose out of, well, I shouldn't say of course, but it did arise out of, you know, my personal experience with my mother-in-law, who was very dear to me, and watching her decline into dementia. I personally have very strong feelings about uh, not wanting to go very far down that road. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, looking at that and really thinking about if I got to that point, uh, or if I started to get near to that point, what my options are. So that, you know, really thinking about, you know, what, what would that feel like? Which, of course, you can't really, it's one of those things that I don't think you can really know until you get there to a certain extent. Yeah. But thinking about imagining, and that's what we get to do in poems. Yes. Uh, we get to imagine, um, you know, what would it be like to say, uh, no to my life what would it be like to say this is enough now this is this is where um you know the cost benefit <laughs> changes <laughs> and and I'm, I'm ready to go in this way and um and just you know thinking there about that tenderness at the end you know how, yeah. how would you say goodbye to your life tenderly yeah people have responded to this poem in different ways and Sometimes it's been read as the speaker being, you know, ready to kill herself, which it, I don't think is a careful reading because it, it does say, you know, that this would be in the future. There may come a day. Yes. 
when I must say no. You know, there may come a day, I don't say today or, you know, this week, or even that there will come a day. Uh, But I think that the concept of a consciously chosen way of dying rather than suffering to the bitter end is still so controversial that when people read it, that sometimes there's a sort of knee-jerk reaction to, oh, this is about suicide, which is, in my mind, 180 degrees different from this. Um, But, uh, you know, really thinking about that tenderness, I think, you know, is, is where I wound up in the poem of of the poem being as you say there's that tension you know that it is a celebrate it's a poem that celebrates life well Um, yeah this little hat of life a little hat hat of life I just the first time I heard that I'm like oh my god (laughs) and I think about that sometimes when I'm putting on a hat I'm like oh Oh. a little hat of life oh that's so sweet that you think about it I don't see how you could not that moment in the poem that this little hat of life how will I bear to take it off while I can still reach up? And then the poem turns like snug woolen watch cap, lacy bonnet, yellow cloche with the yellow veil. I wore the Easter I turned 13 when my mother let me promenade with Tommy Spagnola on the boardwalk in Atlantic City. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's such an amazing stanza, but it's also a, a moment in the poem where the speaker having very, you know, just the stanza before, honestly and bravely talked about, I found a plastic bag complete with Velcro and a hole for a propane tank. When the the speaker in the poem has looked at this moment in the face, and then here's this picture of her in her life walking with this yellow veil and Tommy Spagnola on the boardwalk. It's this iconic (laughs) moment in a life, but it's the one real detail of memory that's so vivid. Mm -hmm. And then it's not just the general good things about life, but it's a very particular life. And it, it invites the reader to kind of grab hold of those particular moments in our life. Isn't that the amazing thing about poetry that is almost not a logic, even though it's the way it works every time, is that the more particular we are, the more it seems like a thing that's unique to us. Like, you know, probably there's no one else in the world who, when they were 13, wore a little yellow hat on the boardwalk in Atlantic City with Tommy Spagnola. I'm probably the only person (laughs) who's going to read this poem and go, I did that too with Tommy Spagnola in the same little yellow hat. (laughs) But the more particular we are, the more it it reaches um, a reader and makes them think, of their own experiences and absolutely magic of poetry it's yeah. a and, magic thing and in this poem i i believe like that's the actual intro, introduction of tenderness because it's such a tender moment yes and it, it makes me think of um i think it's Chekhov who said if you want to make something more terrible put something beautiful before it in a exactly poem. Chekhov. and this is that 
beautiful moment of the poem and then the poem cries out the diction changes oxygen oxygen the cry of the body but there may come a day when i must say no enough enough and i really feel like this is the crying out of the soul of the poem in this moment mm -hmm. um, and then you go into those beautiful lines about tenderness um, it's just stunning so thank you. thank you thank you for writing it and thank you for sharing it with us i like talking about it with you yeah yeah it's wonderful well if you're just tuning in i'm your host julie murphy and this is the hive poetry collective and we're here with Ellen Bass today on KSQD Santa Cruz, 90.7 FM. I just want to come back to that question about poems being in a, a big conversation because I, I feel like this poem and the Marvin Bell poem that are talking about life, can you just kind of start to think about other poems, praise poems that praise life, and that there's this kind of this ongoing conversation that's speaking in images and speaking in subjects across all of time. You know, your poem opens up with the quote of Rimbaud, who's centuries before us. I know. That's one of the things that um, is so moving to me and that I think about a lot, how a, a poet who was writing... Um, you know, a hundred years ago uh, or more, 200 years ago sometimes, or more, you know, could be back to Sappho. I mean, yeah. we could go way back. And then we are here and not every poem, of course, but there'll be certain poems or certain lines from poems that we hold on to, that we live by, that are touchstones for us, that get us through a hard night, and that that poet never ever could have imagined that somebody um, all these years since mm -hmm. would be feeling so connected to what they were going through at that time. Um, Maybe somebody in a different country, in a different uh, gender, a different mm -hmm. race, a, you know, a different uh, socioeconomic class, you know, whatever yes. it is, you know, I mean, you, you know, with, with just wildly different experience would, would be so intimately connected. <laughs> This is the Hive Poetry Collective. I'm your host, Julie Murphy, on KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. If you're enjoying today's broadcast, please visit our website, hivepoetry.org, where you can find all our happenings and all of our previously recorded podcasts. And you can visit us on Facebook, Hive Poetry at KSQD, or follow us on Twitter at Hive Poetry. You're also welcome to visit Ellen's website, Ellen Bass dot com and all of her upcoming courses and some of her poems are there you can listen to her read uh, more poems and uh, find out all of the happenings with her we'll put the links up on our web page uh, as well as on anchor fm where you can find us the hive poetry collective
Welcome back, Ellen. It's so great to talk with you about the connection and the intimacy of poetry. And I think you were in the middle of a thought. There's a tiny Langston Hughes poem um, that has gotten me through some very hard times. And I often think of this idea around the poem. I could say the poem for you. Oh, do? Um, yeah. And, and, um, you know, I, I just often think, you know, Langston Hughes, you know, he didn't, I'm sure he wasn't saying to himself that there's going to be some, you know, you know, <laughs> a, aging Jewish lesbian white woman and, you know, a beach town in California is going to really need my poem. <laughs> you know? And and she's she's going to be like carrying it around in her pocket and and saying it to herself when when she's going through uh you know what the English call a rough patch, yeah. um, and and yet you know there it is. So I'll, I'll I'll share the poem with you. It's such a beautiful poem. It's called Island. Wave of sorrow, do not drown me now. I see the island still ahead somehow. I see the island and its sands are fair. Wave of sorrow, take me there. Oh, beautiful. Just beautiful. Well, I'm gonna start carrying that around in my pocket. <laughs> yes, oh yes. And it's it's so learnable that then you can, you know, in a minute you'll know it by heart. Yeah. And then you have it anytime you need and then it. You love it. And <laughs> I have to say, Langston Hughes was one of the first poets I fell in love with in high school, and I memorized his poems, and they're they're still there. So they're ageless. They are. They are. Well, let let's read another of your poems. I'm thinking we probably should move to Indigo. Good, because I think we'll have a lot to say about that poem also. And this poem is a little bit in conversation with um, Enough and yes. Marvin Bell's poem too. So we're, we're all in- We're all in sync. Poetry is one big conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Indigo. As I'm walking on West Cliff Drive, a man runs toward me, pushing one of those jogging strollers with shock absorbers so the baby can keep sleeping which this baby is. I can just get a glimpse of its almost translucent eyelids. The father is young, a jungle of indigo and carnelian tattooed from knuckle to jaw, leafy vines and blossoms, saints and symbols. Thick wooden plugs pierce his lobes and his sunglasses testify to the radiance haloed around him. I'm so jealous as I often am. It's a kind of obsession. I want him to have been my child's father. I want to have married a man who wanted to be in a body, who wanted to live in it so much that he marked it up like a book, underlining, highlighting, writing in the margins, I was here. Not like my dead ex-husband, who was always fighting against the flesh, who sat for hours on his zafu chanting Om, 
and then went out and broke his hand punching the car. I imagine when this galloping man gets home, he's going to want to have sex with his wife who slept in late and then he'll eat barbecued ribs and let the baby teeth on a bone while he drinks a dark beer. I can't stop wishing my daughter had had a father like that. I can't stop wishing I'd had that life. Oh, I know, it's a miracle to have a life, any life at all. It took eight years for my parents to conceive me. First there was the war and then just waiting and my mother's bones so narrow, she had to be slit and I airlifted that anyone is born, each precarious success from sperm and egg to zygote, embryo, infant is a wonder. And here I am alive, almost 70 years and nothing has killed me. Not the car I totaled running a stop sign or the spirochete that screwed into my blood. Not the tree that fell in the forest exactly where I was standing. My best friend shoving me backwards so I fell on my ass as it crashed. I'm alive and I gave birth to a child. So she didn't get a father who would sling her onto his shoulder and so much else she didn't get. I've cried most of my life over that. And now there's everything that we can't talk about. We love but cannot take too much of each other. Yet she is the one who, when I asked her to kill me, if I no longer had my mind, we were on our way into Ross shopping for dresses. That's something she likes, and they all look adorable in her. She's the only one who didn't hesitate or refuse or waver or flinch. As we strode across the parking lot, she said, okay, but when's the cutoff? That's what I need to know. Thank you. This is such an amazing poem. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Ellen Bass read her poem, Indigo, here on KSQD 90.7 FM, Santa Cruz, on the High Poetry Collective. And I'm your host, Julie Murphy. There's so much to say about this poem, Ellen. It's, it's, a, it's a tour de force of a poem. It's like a grappling of an entire lifetime in this poem. Um, <laughs> Is there anything you want to say about it? Let's <laughs> <laughs> offer an open-ended question. <laughs> well, I could I could tell you it took me forty years to write it. Uh huh. Yeah. This poem it's so honest and unflinching, like so many of your poems. So I I could say that about so many of your poems. That as a poet, I think it's it's one of the things that you really excel at is really looking at things and looking at things and seeing them and getting on the page what you're actually grappling with, what you're actually seeing. And you do that with such amazing description in the opening of this poem of um, that man pushing that yeah. jogging stroller the, the description of him is just so beautiful. The father is young, a jungle of indigo and carnelian, tattooed from knuckle to jaw, leafy vines and blossoms, saints and symbols. Thick wooden plugs pierce his lobes and his sunglasses testify to the radiance haloed around him. Wow. <laughs> that man was a gift from the universe. He, he was, and to all of us now. 
<laughs> yes, I, you know, I, I did see him uh, and, you know, I saw him and uh, everything that I, you know, hadn't been able to find a way to say in decades of unsuccessful poems just flooded in. Mm -hmm. I, I got the image, you know, I got, I mean, that's what gave it to me is I got this image that his um, tattoos, his, you know, body decorations were um, a way of saying that he, you know, wanted, that he was marking up his body the way we would mark up a book, you know, and highlight it and write in the margins and underline and say, you know, I was here. Yeah. And, you know, that, that idea, that idea just uh, came to me when I looked at him uh -huh. and then everything came from there. Yeah. It, it, and the, the details that you, I mean, the way that you describe him, we see him so clearly, but also the sound and the language in that description, I, I mean, it's wonderful to read and it's like, it's like music. And I, I think the sound elevates that image. It, it, it breathes life into it. Um, I remember Frank Gaspar saying once that the, the rhythm of a poem, the sound of the poem is like a bellows that lights the fire of the poem. Oh, that's wonderful. And, and you know, he, he was that's talking about the, the importance of reading Yes. poems aloud, but also the importance of reading old meter, you know, the old poetry that's in meter because it is the bellows. And you really feel that in this poem. And then there's just these such honest statements. I'm so jealous as I often am. You know, when a speaker in a poem says that, she has my attention and now I'm <laughs> going to believe what she tells me because we don't always admit those things. So I, I like this speaker. And, and then there's these, use, you kind of use anaphora, repetition. I want, I want. And later in the poem, you, you kind of do another repetition of I can't stop wishing. I can't stop wishing. And uh, even later, so she didn't get, so she didn't get. And it's a light touch with the different kinds of repetition, the anaphora and the concatenation. But there, there's something rhythmically that those moments do in the poem also as they get our attention. And it's, it's like the beat of a drum. It's telling us, pay attention here, pay attention here. Uh, I think it's just so amazing in this poem. Thank you. The other thing that really stands out for me in this poem structurally is that this poem changes verb tense 12 times. Oh, I love it. You you would know that, Julie. Yeah. I counted it. I'm like, how did she do this? You know, I'm like, a, as a poet, I'm, all, I'm trying to look at how poems work, what, mm -hmm. what gives them their life, what gives them, what Carl Phillips calls their muscularity, what moves them along and you know this poem it starts in the present this moment of the gift of this image that's really uh, a metaphor for the poem right um and then it goes into the past not like my dead ex-husband 
Yeah. And then it goes into uh, the f- an imagined future. Mm-hmm. I imagine when this galloping man gets home, he's going to want to have sex with his wife. Right, so it goes into the future and then it comes back to the present. I can't stop wishing my daughter had a father like that. And then it goes in the past. It took eight years for my parents to conceive me. And that kind of going into that far past and into conception, so before life, it it allows the poem to open this very big window that anyone is born. Each precarious success from sperm and egg to zygote, embryo, infant is a wonder. And that poem opens up this window to all of humanity. And now we're all included in this moment. And it comes back into the present. And here I am. And then it goes into the past. Not the car I totaled. Not the times <laughs> I almost died. And then back into the present. I'm alive. And then back to the past. And I gave birth. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And and then into the present, right into what I feel like is really the heart of the poem. So she didn't, it starts with the past and then moves to the present. So she didn't get a father who'd sling her onto his shoulder and so much else she didn't get. I've cried most of my life over that. And now there's everything we can't talk about. We love, but cannot take too much of each other. And this is like the penultimate moment of the poem of this honest, complex relationship the speaker is telling us about and all the tension and the realness and the the love and the difficulty is all right there. I mean, mean, this is why we read poetry. (laughs) Yes, yes. And then the whiplash moment (laughs) where we go into Ross. And I love how there's Westcliff Drive and Ross. And for those of us that are here in Santa Cruz, these places are very... You know I am every minute. ...opposite <laughs> each other and not too far away from each other, but... Um, if you want to find me, look in one place or the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was... Um, it, that's that's my maybe my favorite swerve is you know going from the um you know the bedrock of this um complicated moment of uh you know we love but cannot take too much of each other yeah um, which is the uh you know the kind of uh you know, most stripped away moment, I think, in the poem. And then going right into, uh, yet she is the one. Yes. And, 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 you know, then we're, we're on our way into Ross and it becomes, um, you know, such a uh, honoring of this child. Yes. And, and, uh, you know, such a, um, uh, what would you say? Such a recognition of uh, her love for me. Yes, yes, and the um, the note who didn't hesitate or refuse or waver or flinch. Yes, 
Yeah. I mean, that, that, you know, this is, you know, such an honoring of the character of this, this daughter. And the love between the two of them. Yes, yes. It's just so beautiful. And in that last moment of the poem, that question, okay, but when's the cutoff? That's what I need to know. And that kind of, in a way, takes us out of time. It's a present, it's past, it's present, but it's into the ongoing future and the ongoing uncertainty we all face. And um, this speaker leaves us there. Yes, yeah. You know, yeah, it's not tied up in a bow. <laughs> <laughs> no bows, no bows. <laughs> and I, which is what's so so remarkable about your work. It's so direct and honest and real, because who who doesn't have at least one difficult and challenging relationship in their life? Who doesn't have a of love where there's difficulty or tension or hurt? So we, you know, as a reader, we can all relate to the crux of this poem and really that salvation of the character of the daughter and the openness and the love that comes through and the uncertainty that we're all swimming in. Mm-hmm. Because you know, you know how it's going to be for us. I know we all have, if not that question, comparable questions. Yes. When's the cutoff? Yes. <laughs> oh, to anything. <laughs> When do we take our chips and go? <laughs> I mean, we're always making, not always, but from time to time in a lifetime, we're faced with some hard decisions. Very few people get through their lifetime without sometimes being faced with something where the stakes are very high and what do you do? So that's kind of wonderful. And and I love that it ends... Um, I love right now, especially that it ends with this dialogue, because another topic that I'm going to be talking on in these talks that I mentioned is dialogue. And um, I, I had a lot of dialogue, poems that use dialogue already collected. But this week on Twitter, um, there was a call for uh, who knows good poems that end with dialogue and oh. oh my gosh there were so many great poems that got mentioned and so I've been steeped in dialogue poems uh and especially poems that end with dialogue because of this twitter thread and it's it's been fascinating just to see how it's kind of like you know if you're going to paint your house all of a sudden you notice what color everybody's house is. Yes. If you're pregnant, you notice how many pregnant yes. women there are. And if you're going to buy a new car, all that. Well, like, I mean, I, of course I knew that dialogue is used in poems, but I just never thought of that category. I've never taught that particular subject directly. Okay, now we're going to talk about this. So it's been fascinating just to think about the ways in which dialogue can function. And with this poem, I don't know how I could have possibly ended the poem if I didn't have the option of that, those two lines of dialogue. Well, yeah, and the, the voice, like just hearing the actual voice. Brings the actual up. voice of the daughter. And the thing I keep thinking about is when there's a, a line of dialogue, instead of you, the poet telling you about someone, the person gets a chance to present 
themselves. And it's like you are in the room hearing it. It's not my rendition. Yes. You know, you get to hear it. You get to make what you make of it rather than I tell you about it. And so, you know, it's really so interesting to think about. Well, it is. And it's one of the ways your poems are so very intimate. The lines of dialogue that come in, the detail in your description, the real ordinary things that come into your poems, the utterances of the speakers in your poems. They're just so intimate and close. And listeners, if you're interested in learning more about Ellen's um, classes that are coming up, you can go to her website, www.ellenbass.com, and we will post that um, on our website along with this podcast and also a link to Bookshop Santa Cruz because you should go out and buy her book indigo as well as all her other books because they're all fabulous um, i'm glad you mentioned the talks um it, it's uh for those of you who might be interested in the spring in april and may i'm gonna do uh six talks on the craft of poetry i'm going to talk about two things that we talked about here one is obsessions and the other is dialogue but i'm also going to talk about the turn in a poem when it uh, turns in indigo there you can see there's a lot of associative thinking we go from one thing to another you know how and the leap of going from one thing to another and creating music in poems and um what's the other thing that i'm going to talk about is it slipping my mind oh yeah and we're going to talk about um poems that respond to art and if you're a poet you you would certainly be interested but if you're a prose writer or if you're just really interested in writing you know in literature if you're like a a serious reader I maybe serious is the wrong word if you're a passionate reader um you because we're just going to be looking at at these things and looking at the craft of them it's not an interactive class it's I'm just going to be talking to you um so check it out if you're interested and we do have scholarships so if you might want to do it but you've been hit by covid financially or for any other reason don't don't hesitate to um to just ask for a scholarship well ellen it's been such a delight um having this conversation with you oh, i love being with you and talking yeah. to everyone thanks yeah. all for listening that's such a gift for all of us so thank you so much for coming on the air and Let's close um, hearing your poem, um, 74,000 Acres of Forest Burning, because this is of your new work. Yes, this is new. And, uh, you know, those of you who are in the area, of course, uh, went through these fires in the summer. And um, it's called 74,000 acres of forest burning. And, and as you know, there were more than those acres, but I wrote this poem at that moment when that's how much had burned. So I will share it with you. 74,000 acres of forest burning. The kids go out for coffee. They arrived at 3 a.m. and we only have decaf. They've left chimneys in the rubble, contorted washers and dryers the blistered street sign, the flaming heart of the redwood. Even here, the air hangs umber colored 
smoke thickened. Ash falls, flaking the bench, the path. It gathers in the veins of leaves, in the spider's webs. Sally carries photos and notebooks from the car and the lace wedding dress she still hasn't worn. Max brings a big bowl of heirloom tomatoes and his knives. Janet bakes an apple galette and cries. Here we tunnel into the day, here we shovel the hours. I walk the neighborhood, crushing a thin crust. A man sleeps in his car, seat tilted back. A woman stands at the open door of her van. Inside, chickens flutter in cages. She gives them water. Back home, kibbles in the dog's bowl. The sun is neon orange on our kitchen wall. I pack a tinted photo of my mother, Janet's silver bracelets, the ceramica we schlepped the length of Italy. Sally vacuums. Now she thinks she feels the baby move. We strain toward the next briefing. The fire's moving on the ridge. It's 0.8 miles from their house. I cut parsley from the garden, wash off the greasy film. Bees keep on nuzzling into the blossoms. An ant carries a broken ant across the patio. A fire truck, four men in profile through the windows. They look straight ahead, jaws set. The dahlias nod their big flame heads in the breeze that's picking up. Breeze is what we don't want. The maple leaves rustle. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Ellen, and sharing your beautiful work. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. This is the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD, Santa Cruz, 90.7 FM. If you enjoyed tonight's broadcast, you can visit our website, hivepoetry.org, for the podcast and all the podcasts of our previous shows. Be well and take care. Be for the honey, be